Bhagavad Gita is a book of mankind's collected experience of and answers to life's most basic questions. Who I am? From where do I come? What is my purpose and destiny? And most practically, how do I find happiness? These podcasts originate in the lectures of Neil Bhatt, a disciple of Swami Chinmayananda. They are presented here in 20 to 30 minute segments, each covering three of the Gita's 701 verses. Welcome to Gita Wisdom for Daily Living. So we had been discussing chapter 1, Arjuna Vishad Yoga, Yoga of Arjuna's Grip. We have come to the final concluding verses of chapter 1. So the chapter 1 paints a scenario where if not millions, thousands of people gathered in Kurukshetra to do whatever they do best. So they basically to fight the war. So Kurukshetra is also called Dharmakshetra by Dhritarashtra in the first verse. In the first verse, Dhritarashtra says, I want to know what's happening in the Kurukshetra, which is a Dharmakshetra. So Kurukshetra is analogous to Karmakshetra, field of action. Also it's called Dharmakshetra, which is analogous to a field of actions where I can practice my Dharma. Dharma, that which I'm prepared for. So for an architect like me, Dharmakshetra is my office and practice art of architecture. Well, that's my Dharmakshetra. My Dharma as an architect is to design buildings, the field of action which gives me an opportunity to practice that art is my Dharmakshetra. So this scenario which is painted is analogous to the situations which we find ourselves in our lives. So every year, the universities have graduation ceremonies. Where we see the sea of students who are graduating and ready to enter into the workforce. And obviously the question in the parents' mind is whether my son will be successful in wherever he practices his whatever the education and the profession which he has prepared himself for. And obviously the thought comes to our mind is that maybe the one who has the most resources will be successful in his life. person who comes from a good family, who has a family background, has a family business, well, maybe that, that person will be successful in his life. Or the other thought is maybe the one who is well-equipped, who is a good student, has the highest grade, who is always ahead in this class, that he will be the most successful in his life. But I guess the experience in life, we have seen that both formulas do not work all the time. It may work sometimes, not all the time. But what works all the time is the one who has the character and integrity. That person will be certainly will be successful in life. So it is the character building which is the goal of any scripture or any study of scripture like Bhagavad Gita. So therefore Swamiji actually calls the study of Bhagavad Gita the art of man-making. There are two books on art of man-making by Swami Chimananda. They were actually radio lectures by Swamiji on Bhagavad Gita and he called them art of man-making. So chapter 1 has prepared us to introspect and be aware of our own situations in our lives. So up till now, before we 
decided to learn Bhagavad Gita, we were facing the situation but not very aware of what to look for and how to prepare ourselves for it. So therefore, this chapter is called Arjuna Vishadi Yoga. And there's always the question why this is a yoga. Other chapters can be yoga. But why this chapter is also called yoga. This chapter actually united us with our own situations, which we were oblivious about. We did not know why I am doing what and why I am successful or I am failing. We are experiencing all these things, but we did not have a, a system to analyze and see what makes an activity successful or what makes my actions productive. So the study of Bhagavad Gita will now teach us, will prepare us to see situation comprehensively and then we can decide how to act in this life. And therefore, it's called Arjuna Vishad Yoga. It connected him to his own situation. So, so far we have seen in this chapter that Arjuna was very anxious while they were preparing for the war. He considered himself to be something similar to a guy who is graduated at the top of his class and now he's entering workforce. He was always the best, and now he has this field of action where he can basically shine out. So typically we would have anticipated that he would be the last person to have any doubt about fighting this war. They have already debated whether this war is righteous or not. So before they gathered in the field of Kurukshetra, there were several incidents we see where Arjuna came out very confident. He told Sanjay, go tell Duryodhan that when Krishna and I are together, even Indra's army cannot defeat us. Swamiji also points out here that in the beginning of this Bhishma Parva, there are few verses where Yudhisthira had doubt whether this war is right or not. And Arjuna was the one who gave him the right perspective. And he gave him advice that there will be time where fighting war will be the only right thing to do for, for the righteous cause. He said, as long as our cause is righteous, we will be the winners. So he's pretty confident. He was in control of his own situation. And then suddenly when he saw all the relatives on both sides, he somehow had nervous breakdown. He had a completely different perception of what's happening. All his confidence about fighting this war is not because we want this kingdom, but it's the right thing to do. The cause is right. Therefore, we have to fight this war that evaporated. The only thing he saw at that point, I have to kill my own cousins and my own teacher and my own grand grandfather. So he was more overwhelmed by the attachment than the principle. So then we have seen that he had a nervous breakdown, his anxiety, and then he basically has delusion. When he had delusion, he started seeing reality completely differently. And therefore he started making argument about why he does not want to fight this war. So his first argument was, well, they are not 
smart enough to figure out that this is not a right thing to do. But we are better than them. He put himself on a pedestal saying, I'm better than them. They don't know what they're doing, but we know. And therefore we shouldn't be fighting this war. When that argument did not work with Krishna, because he was obviously looking for validation from Krishna that yes, he's on the right path, or we always try to avoid this war. Arjuna, I'm glad that you realize at the end, it's not too late, let's pack our bags and go home. In verse 37, he has already declared that. He said, therefore, let's not participate in this war. We have not heard from Krishna yet. So now he makes a greater moral argument. Why the war itself is sinful. War in any shape and form is sinful. Swamiji says he is the first conscientious objector in the history. Promoting the pacifist argument about why war should not be fought. Buddha was pacifist, obviously. He promoted that war should not be fought. That was a very different outlook. All his life, right from the beginning, Buddha saw the thing very differently. Juna did not see it that way. Suddenly he became pacifist when people were relying on him to fight this battle. So now he makes a moral argument saying that war is sinful because it destroys the family unit. Family unit, which is the basic unit for the society, as we discussed last time, that at that time, and even till today, family is the unit which makes any society. When the families are educated, the society will be educated. So whatever is happening in the microcosm in a family will be happening in the macrocosm in the society. So therefore, protecting families is very important. Very valid argument he makes. And then we have seen that as we progressed in the modern time, the family unit became a couple and the couple became an individual. So now we have the individual right is what we are trying to protect. So he makes argument to Krishna that by fighting this war, we'll be destroying families. And therefore, we'll be the sinners. Because we'll be the cause for destroying this family unit which will ultimately will destroy the entire culture and the society. In a family, the man has the duty to protect and provide for the family. So there's a division of labor. Man is providing and protecting the family. and woman is nurturing the family. And in that situation, if you take the protector and provider away, the nurturer has no resources to nurture the family, and therefore the nurturer will become corrupt. Corrupt in sense, she has to do something which is not appropriate for her to get out of her role of nurturer into a provider. And that will eventually make the nurturing part of the family suffer. The family is not nurtured, the next generation, the society will suffer. We here in our society that the children who grow up without any family support, they obviously will not have the right values, they do not know what is the right of their life. We have Hindi movies where this hero becomes a gangster because he grew up on the streets and he did not have any support, any guidance from the family. So it's a valid argument he makes that we cannot disrupt the family unit and therefore he said that we will be the sinner. And the one who destroys the family unit 
that person will go to hell forever. In other words, we will be the cause for creating hell in this society. So it continues the argument and says, Dosehe aitehe kulagnanam varna sankara karakaihi utsadhyante jati dharmaha kuladharmaha cha sasvataha. He makes a moral argument about our responsibility to preserve our culture and social structure. Once we destroy the family, we have destroyed that order and therefore those men who participate in that, they will go to hell forever. Utsan kula dharmanam manushyanam janardana narake niyatam vasaha bhavati anusushrama those men, as you say, will go to hell forever. Traditionally, if you just believe in that, after your death, you will be either go to Swarga or Narak, then in this case, because you're definitely going to Narak. You're going to hell. But the, the Swamiji points out that the broader view of that is that the society will live in hell and you will be part of it. You will be living in hell. If the law and order in this society is destroyed by whatever is happening because of the corruption people start behaving as if they have all the rights then the overall atmosphere in the society will become not livable it will be more hellish living ahobat mahat papam kartum vyavasita vayam yad rajya sukha lobena hantum Swajanam Uddhyataha. He now basically has concluded his argument and said, Ahobat alas, mahat papam kartum vyavasita vayam. He actually tells conclusively to Krishna, we engage in this great sin by fighting this war, destroying this family and culture and society. We are sending everyone to hell. We hell is living for everyone. And that is only for yad rajya sukhalovena. We are only doing it because we want this kingdom. Our greed to have this kingdom is motivating us to engage in this act, which is sinful. Yadi maam pratikaram asastram sastra panayaha dhartrarastra rane hanyuhu tanme kshemataram bhavet. Therefore, he is my final decision that even the Dhritarashtra's sons kill me with their weapons and me having no weapons in my hand that will be better for me than killing my own kith and kill. He came to the conclusion that in this life if I can think of what will give me the liberation from my situation that is a better liberation than me fighting the war and winning what is rightfully mine. So he makes a much greater argument to preserve what rightfully theirs with the kshema. Yoga is something we are trying to achieve which we don't have. Kshema is something we have and we are trying to protect it. The kshema. So he said the first argument for fighting this war is for the kshema. The kingdom which we have created, we have earned with our own efforts. Because in the process of it, they had to give up. They developed themselves 
to a point where they did a Rajya Yagna. And then they lost it in the gambling. Now they want to get it back. So that effort in preserving what you have. But you say, now my argument is not I want to preserve what I have. I want to get the final state of moksha. And therefore, if they kill me, then I will get my liberation, which is more than what I'll get by fighting this war. And therefore, I do not want to fight this war. So that's his conclusion. He told Krishna, he made all the arguments, hoping that Krishna will agree with this larger argument of preserving the culture and the society. And the chapter ends with Sanjaya's final comment. Say, Sanjaya Vacha, Eva Muktva Arjunaha, Sankhe Rata Upastha Upavishat, Visrujya Sasaram Chapam, Shoka Samvigna Manasaha. Basically, the reporting what's happening there after making this argument. Arjun sat down on the seat of the chariot, dropping the great Gandiv along with the arrow, overwhelmed by sorrow. He sorrowfully he just sat down. And that's where chapter one ends. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukina Sarve Santu Niramayaha Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu Ma Kaschit Dukkha Bhagbave Om Shantihi 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 Harihi Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Hiyo